amen. You may be seated. As you're seated this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to be jumping there in just a moment. But, uh, but before we do that, I just want to, I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, it's, it's great to see you today in the house of the Lord. Um, I want to thank you. Most of you guys know that our home has been affected the last couple of weeks by COVID. We had our turn and a lot of you have had your turn and, and, um, and there's a lot of people who are out. We're kind of sparse this morning in the first service because uh, a lot of people are taking their turn or they are being careful and, and staying away. And I just want to thank you for your prayers and your texts and your calls and your messages and checking on us. Um, Tressa will be here today in the second service. She, she felt the brunt of it of the five of us and just really got hammered. But thank the Lord yesterday, she really saw her turn around. And she'll be here in the second service. Um, just didn't have the gas to sing today, but uh, she'll be back next week. Um, I'm believing for that. I want to thank uh, our, our whole team for just keeping things going as we've been out. And I told Pastor Kevin to be ready to preach today if I tested positive. And then I said, you better have one in your back pocket because at some point I'll probably will test positive. I don't know how I didn't get positive because I was right with Tressa for the last two weeks and taking care of her. But hey, who knows? This virus is the most um, uh, unpredictable thing, right? Uh, you, just, you just don't know. But one thing I do know is that it's bad. And if you get it full, full blast, it's real and it will put a hurt on you. And uh, we've been married for 25 years next month and I've never seen my wife as sick as she was the last two weeks. And, uh, and so I, with all that being said, um, there's a lot of our church family who have, have been affected the last few weeks. Uh, more are almost through it than are sick right now. So we praise the Lord for that. And uh, we're just, just pray for, as we just prayed. Pray with us that the next few months, we know we're, we're right in the middle of it. Cold and flu season. And again, I want to reiterate what I said at the beginning you know, when, when this whole thing happened, we, we, we did everything we, know, we knew to do to, to make us safe. And the Lord's really blessed us, y'all, really has blessed us that since the middle of May, we've been able to worship nonstop. And when we came back, I told you, my two goals for us were that we could, we could keep you safe and we could keep worshiping in person. And that's why I'm asking us to buckle down and, uh, and to do everything we can. I know it's hard. It's automatic. The handshake and hug. We'll get back to that. This will pass. And you can waller all over each other at some point again. All right. We'll get there. But until we do, let's keep each other safe. And I know you want to do that. And by this point, everybody knows somebody who's been sick. Everybody, I, I, I don't think anybody is disillusioned anymore to think this is made up. If you do, you need to pray through. Because you're, you just need, you need the Lord to help you. That's all I can say. There's nothing made up about this virus. Um, the way, I'm not even going to go down there. But, um, but anyway, we've rescheduled some things, um, postponed some things. But uh, we just want to keep everybody safe. Amen? And I, and I know you guys are going to do that. And I appreciate it. And uh, I think if we can do that for the next few months, get through cold and flu season, we'll be good. I also want to... Just comment on what's going on in our nation. Uh, we know this is a big week, uh, transfer of power. Uh, we know that uh, we'll have a new president and vice president this week. And I want to tell you what I've said during this whole process. There's two things that we can do. We can pray and we can vote. 
We've already voted, okay? But let me tell you, I'm almost embarrassed to put those two things in the same sentence because they don't deserve to be in the same sentence because prayer trumps voting so much more. We can pray and continue to pray when, when the votes are gone and tabulated. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be doing and what I've already been doing. I'm praying for our president-elect, and I'm praying for our vice president-elect and for the new Congress, and I'm praying that God would use them in a supernatural way to bring unity to our nation. If he does that, it will be supernatural. And uh, we need to pray that. And I know you believe that. And it's time for us as a church and as the church to do that. If you are complaining more than you are praying, you are wrong. We need to be praying. We need to be praying specific prayers for our leaders. And we need to pray in faith. And um, it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've looked ahead at what we're going to be praying about this week. But our prayer points this week go perfectly step by step, in step is what I'm trying to say, with what's going on in our nation. This week we'll begin to pray the see his kingdom portion of our vision statement. And this week we're going to be praying for our political leaders, federal, state, and local. We're going to be praying for uh, the day of the inauguration. How about it? We're praying for peace, unity, and racial healing in our nation. The next day, we're praying for first responders. And, and then we're going to keep praying, no matter who's in office, for the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and freedom of religion. Amen? And I felt led to add on this prayer list. We've not had it on this list uh, in the past years. But we'll be praying uh, uh, next Saturday for the peace and protection of Israel. We need to continue to pray for the peace and protection of Israel. Amen. And uh, I know God's going to hear us as we pray. And I know you believe that as well. I told you a couple of months ago in this series on emotions. This statement. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Here's the sermon before the sermon. Okay. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. So when you feel anxious about anything, Paul said, be anxious for what, somebody? Nothing. Nothing means what? In the Greek, nothing means what? Nothing. So be anxious for nothing, and in all things what? Pray. In all things, give thanks. And, um, and I believe that God's going to be faithful as we do that. Next Sunday night, we're going to finish 21 days of prayer and fasting with a night of worship and praise. In here, And somebody was asking me this week, they said, well, when is the fast officially in? And this is what I said. I said, Ethan, you'll like this. You're already smiling. You know it's going to be good. If you come to the night of prayer and worship, praise and prayer and worship, as soon as that night, as the service is over, you can go eat whatever you want. Fast is over. If you don't come, then your fast doesn't break till Monday morning. Okay? <laughs> That's the official stance of Rinkin Church of God, Inc., how about that? You like that, don't you? If you watch online, we'll let that count too. But you can't eat burgers and coffee until after the service is over. Okay. All right, all right. We're having a little fun this morning. Let's look in the Word today. Now, I was going to begin a new message series last Sunday that was going to kind of get us going in the direction that we want to go for, for the new year. And guys, if you'll give us just a little bit of house lights uh, this morning so people can see their Bibles and uh, I can see the people. But... Um, I, I'm going to hold off on that. We, we've got a whole new message series coming and, and new banners and a new, just a new push for the new year. 
But with, with being out a week and then spending time this week praying and everything, I just felt like the Lord said, let's wait. And we'll get to that. And we're going to get to a series called Better Together that we're going to get to here in a few weeks. But, but I, wanna, I felt this week really impressed, and, uh, and especially as I began to study, that the Lord wanted us to spend some time in the book of Acts. And, uh, and we're going to begin a new series today from the book of Acts. And so if you have the Version Bible app, you can open it up today and follow along with the points in the Scripture. we got a new slide up there that if you, if you hear that every week and you're like, I don't know how to do that, you do it too fast. Well, that'll tell you there's some just quick one, two, three right there what you can do. And you can go in that app every week and you can find the sermon points and the scriptures and you can save them. And if you don't save them, they'll disappear by next Sunday. But you can save them. And if it's, if it's worth looking at and reading, that again, reading again, you can go back and take a look at it. So, um, so we want to uh, make that available to you. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. I want to read the first five verses of Acts chapter 1. And this is uh, Luke the apostle, the same Luke who wrote the book of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And listen to what he says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we open your word and come to it today, God, may you bring fresh revelation and insight and transformation God, may you touch the ears of the hearer and the voice of the speaker. And may we both be anointed to receive what you're going to say in Christ's name. Amen. had a job or a responsibility that required you to delegate something to somebody else. Anybody ever had that before? You know, delegating for a lot of leaders is not an easy thing. It's difficult because it's, it's tough to trust somebody else to make sure they're going to do the job. You know, it all the book kind of stops with you if you're a leader. And it's, and it's sometimes just a challenge to be able to, to give that up. You've probably heard that statement before that says, if you want something done right, do it yourself. And I, I battle with that. I, I'm a leader, and I'm not a good delegator. I, uh, I'm trying to get better at that, but I, I kind of have that in my mind. If I want something done right, I need to do it myself. But the experts will tell you that the best leaders are great delegators. I want you to look at a couple of quotes here that kind of, 
flesh that out, this first quote here is from the American author, educator, and presidential advisor, Booker T. Washington. Go back one. Where he says, few things help an individual more than to place, more than to place responsibility on him and to let him know that you trust him. Leadership guru John Maxwell said this, if you want to do a few small things right, do them yourself. If you want to do great things and make a big impact, learn to delegate. And financial wizard Dave Ramsey said this, Delegation requires the willingness to pay for short-term failures in order to gain long-term competency. I took that a step further and looked up the definition of delegate. And the verb of of delegate uh, says this, two easy definitions. To entrust to another or to appoint as one's representative. I don't know if you caught it when we read the first five verses of Acts chapter 1. But those verses describe perhaps the most important delegated responsibility in the history of mankind. As Acts 1 opens up, Jesus' 33 years of earthly ministry is coming to a close. And he is ending his ministry. He's heading back to the Father. And he is commissioning his disciples. And in Acts chapter 1, there are two specific verses that tell us how and what Jesus delegated to his disciples. Acts 1-4 says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised which you've heard me speak about. Now he's referring to uh, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, where he talks about the Holy Spirit that actually happened at the, at the, around the table at the Last Supper. And he's telling them, I'm about to leave, but I'm going to leave you a gift that's going to help you as I give you these responsibilities. In verse 8, he says this, Right before he ascends to heaven, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Okay, so I'm delegating you the responsibility. Do you see the delegation there? I'm I'm putting it all on you guys. You will now be responsible to witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, for us to understand kind of where we're going in this series on Acts, we kind of need to look at a little bit of the backstory, And I already told you a little bit of that. And that's that the writer of this book is Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a writer. And he was a, a ministry companion to Paul. You've read about uh, him already in Acts. In Acts chapter 16, he accompanied Paul on his, his missionary journey. And, and the voice that's telling all the stories in Acts is the voice of Luke. He's the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And as I was studying yesterday, I I remembered something that I told you a few months ago when we did the Run Through the Bible series. And I thought, wow, this really fits perfectly with this. You might remember if you were here, we did that series in March of last year. And and we had the big icons on the stage. And and I told you that, that the four Gospels, all of them were written to different people. That Matthew wrote to the Jews... And Mark wrote to the Romans, and Luke wrote to the Gentiles, and John wrote to everybody. And then I thought about that, and I thought, wow, Luke wrote to the Gentiles. 
which makes sense because as you've been reading the book of Acts, you know there's a major turn that's taken place as Jesus has kind of kept things close to the chest. He's definitely ministered to some people outside of the Jewish community, but now he's about to break the doors off the hinges and unleash the full power of the gospel and say through the disciples, hey guys, this is for everybody. And so this same writer, Luke, who wrote to the Gentiles, is the same guy who's writing this book of Acts. You know, really, you could, you could look at the book of Luke as the sequel to the book, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Acts as the sequel to the book of Luke. Now look what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, and we don't really know a lot about who Theophilus is. He's just the person that he wrote this book to. And he also mentions him in Luke chapter 1, 1. But he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, So he's saying, I've already covered Jesus' life in volume 1. And what he's saying is this, volume 1, the gospel of Luke is what Jesus began to do and teach. But volume 2, the Acts of the Apostles, will, will be what Jesus continues to do and teach. Now, depending upon your Bible, some of your Bibles may just call it Acts. Some may call it the Acts of the Apostles. But one teacher I read behind this week said, you know, it would really more accurately be named the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Because the one thing that we see, I mean the apostles are in and out of the story, but the one thing that is throughout the entire story of Luke and Acts is Jesus and the Spirit. It was the Acts of the apostles, surely yes, but they were not doing it without Jesus and the Spirit. I mentioned a moment ago that that Jesus delegated those responsibilities to his disciples. And, and sometimes when we think about delegating, we think about, you know, some people are maybe who are good delegators or we would say they're good, but they're really not. They delegate and then they just leave it all to that person and walk away and say, hey, your deal, dude, I, I don't care what happens. That's not the kind of delegation that Jesus did in the book of Acts. While he delegated the earthly responsibilities, y'all make no mistake, he was still CEO, president, general manager. He was still in charge through his, his work through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I thought about those quotes I gave you a moment ago and I thought, I was looking up some quotes about delegation, and as I was working on the message, I kind of looked back at him and I said, now, now think about those quotes through the lens that Jesus delegated to the disciples. Now, now look at him again. Look at this one from John Maxwell and think about it in terms of what we're talking about. He says, if you want to do a few small things right, then do them yourself. Did Jesus do a few things right? Yeah, he did it himself, and he ministered in a small area. But look at the next. If you want to do great things that make a big impact, learn to delegate. And so Jesus made a bigger impact and his ministry had a greater expansion because he delegated to those disciples. Amen? Now look at this next one. Dave Ramsey said, delegation requires the willingness to pay for short-term failure in order to gain long-term competency. Now watch this. Did Jesus experience some short-term failures with the disciples? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Man, they made some big mistakes, didn't they? I mean, th- there were people who came up to Jesus and said, that these guys can't cast out demons or heal anybody or do anything right. I mean, they really, they really flubbed it up from time to time. But, but look, at, look at what that says. It says, if you want really delegation, you'll put up with some short-term failures in order to gain long-term competency. What we're reading right now in the book of Acts is a perfect example of long-term competency. These men were competent, they were able, and they went the long term and finished the mission that they were called to. Amen? Now look at this definition again, okay? Again, through the lens that we're talking about. Jesus comes along and he entrusts the gospel and the story and his death, burial, and resurrection to the disciples. And he appointed them as his representative. Do you see that? He appointed those men and said, okay, boys, it's your turn. I'm going back to heaven. I will be watching you at all times. I'll have the camera on you. I'll have the Holy Spirit to fill you here pretty soon. But you are my representatives, and I trust you to take care of it. And that's the first thing I want you to see today is I'm going to share with you three takeaways from this first chapter of the book of Acts. The first thing is that Jesus trusted the disciples. Jesus trusted the disciples with the mission that he had started. Now let's, let's step back again, and I want you to see that, that quote from Booker T. Washington. And again, through the lens of what we're talking about, he says, Few things help an individual more than to place responsibility on him and let him know that you trust him. Guys, as much as anything that Jesus is saying in Acts chapter 1 to the disciples, he's saying, I trust you. I am giving you this responsibility. It's a big deal, guys. It's, it's nothing bigger than this. But I trust you to do the work. He had been intentional as a mentor for three years. Everything he had done had led up to this moment. And when you go back and you look at the words of Jesus, you can clearly see that he was setting it up all along. Matthew 16, he looks at Peter one day out of the blue and says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will what, somebody? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He was looking forward to the moment he would delegate Peter to start the church. John 21, that, that discourse that he has with Peter as they're, after Jesus has risen from the grave and they're walking on the beach and, and you know, do you love me? Do, yes, I do. Do you love me? You know, that whole conversation. And at the end of the third, do you love me? Uh, yes, I do. He looks at Peter and says, feed my sheep. You take care of the business. I've done my part. Now it's time for you to do your part. Matthew chapter 28, right before uh, what Matthew tells us, uh, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, it says he looks at the disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me. So with my authority, Jesus says, I'm telling you to go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything that I have said. I believe in you and I trust you to go, to baptize, and to teach. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. We read it a moment ago. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. He trusted them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. He trusted them with the power. Do you see this? How amazing is it that Jesus trusted these guys who got it wrong, who made a lot of mistakes, who all but one abandoned him at the cross, and he still says, go. It's yours. I'm going back home, and I trust you to take care of business. Yesterday when I was working on this, Tressa was in the, in the next room, and she was reading and had some, had some music going, and, and a song began to play that, uh, that we sang here a couple of times, I think, at the end of next year. She may already have it on the list for next Sunday. It's a song titled Champion. And as I was at this point in preparing for the message, this, this song began to play, and I was like, okay, I hear that. And the very first line of that song says, I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry your victory. Don't you think the disciples probably thought, man, have you got the right guys for the job, Jesus? I mean, they were probably overwhelmed with this thought. Can we really do it? They were probably overwhelmed with the idea that, that he had chosen them to carry the mission. I thought about the, that famous line from the old TV show Mission Impossible and the, and the blockbuster movies Mission Impossible. Now with, with Tom Cruise and his characters named Ethan Hunt. And, and, and Ethan, the movie will begin and he'll get that box or whatever it is and he opens it up and it'll tell him your mission, Ethan, should you choose to accept it, is to fill in the blank. Remember that? And at the end, the last line says, as always, should any of your team be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. I thought about the mission that Jesus put his disciples on. Wasn't a mission impossible? Surely felt like it. He told them those same types of things, you know, that, uh, hey, here's the mission. Hope you'll accept it. But there's one big difference and it hit me when I thought about what we looked at a moment ago. Look at this in Matthew chapter 28. Instead of the thing that, that the, uh, on the movie where they say, hey, if you blow it, we don't know who you are. We don't care who you are. Look what Jesus says. I am with you. Come on, somebody. Always to the very end of the age. Whether you get it right or you get it wrong, I am with you. No matter what happens, whether you think you're having a good day or a bad day, where you're, where you're failing or you're knocking out of the park, Jesus will not disavow you. He will be there. And as he said when he gave them the mission, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Somebody say praise the Lord. That's good news today. Amen. So the first thing we see in, in Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus trusted the disciples. The second thing we see is that the disciples were obedient. They got it right this time, y'all. They were obedient to the call, to the mandate, to the mission. Look at what uh, 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 Luke tells us here. He says, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So get that in your mind that this is after Jesus has risen from the dead before he goes back to heaven 
This is, this is key historical information because Luke says that you know, he wasn't with him all the time. He wasn't with him every minute like he was before, but he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of letting them go. He's kind of pushing the birds out of the nest. Do you see that? He would show up every now and then, but Luke said that there were convincing proofs that he was alive. Over 40 days, he would sit down, and what did he talk to them about in the last 40 days? The kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This has got to be close to the end of the 40 days. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay right here. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. We remember all that, John the Baptist. But in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they ask one question. This is the last question the disciples asked Jesus. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were obedient. Let me show you what you, we're talking about what we see. We see that Jesus trusted the disciples. We see that the disciples were obedient. But what do we not see? We don't see in the book of Acts any disciple going back to his old job. No disciple goes back fishing again. No disciple goes back to the tax collector's booth. Back to the the crowd or whoever he was with. We also don't see the disciples hiding. Afraid of what might happen next. They go to an upper room. But they didn't go to an upper room to hide. They went to an upper room to pray. We don't see them abandoning, betraying, or denying Jesus. We don't see them doing any of the immature things that they were known to do. And you ready for the big one? We don't see them consumed or preoccupied with what was going on in the government. They asked one question and they moved on to the mission. When that jumped out at me this week, I said, my goodness, what a word for today. I want you to hear me very carefully. And I have prayed and asked God to put a guard at my mouth that I won't say anything I don't need to say. But I want you to think about the context of that question. When they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom to Israel. This is the question on all the Jewish people's minds. And it is the one thing that they're looking and believing that the Messiah will do. And here are these disciples. This might be, Jack, the last thing they didn't quite get right. Because they're still wondering about the kingdom on earth. They're still wondering about Israel. And I'll give them a pass. They certainly were. They were under Roman rule. They knew that. This was not the way that that God had really intended it to be. And one more time, John, they snuck that question in. Jesus, let me ask you one more time. Are you going to set everything right in the government before you go? And it's like Jesus, like a child will do. I've I've told you these stories before of, you know, know, and you guys have little kids. You'll be a 
you'll be doing one thing, and if your, your kids are old enough to be in your arms, they'll take your hands and put them across your face and turn your face to look right at you. You remember when little kids would do that? It's like Jesus takes their faces, and their faces are, they're looking at the government and what's going on. He takes their faces and says, guys, back on mission. And listen to what he says. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Everything that's going on in our nation, there, there's some crazy stuff going on. But it goes along with, and Brad said it so well when he opened up the service today. I think what the Holy Spirit wants to remind us today is the mission. See, we can get real trip, tripped up and get our focus so much on what's going on in the government. And we can become the poster boy or girl for a brand or a person or a politician or a side that we forget what we're here to do. We're the church. And we have a mission. And are we supposed to vote? Absolutely. Are we supposed to pray? Absolutely. Am I concerned about this administration that's coming in and what they may do? Yeah, it concerns me. But you know what? I'm going to pray about it. And instead of worrying it, I'm going to pray. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that God's plan is bigger. And he has this all in control. And that's what, y'all, that's what Jesus was saying right here. He was saying, boys, the Father's got this in control. You don't need to know. It's not your business to know. I don't even know when I'm coming back. God has got his hands on the wheel. You need to get your hands to the plow. You need to get busy and get working. And if there's a message that I think the church needs to hear today, it's that. We need to get our eyes off of the government. We need to shut down the news and we need to get in the word. Do we need to be aware? Absolutely. Do we need to be informed? Yes. But we need to realize that we have been called here for a mission. And it's not to support a politician it's not to support a certain group of people or whatever. Yes, we can support. Yes, we can pray. Yes, we can vote. But at the end of the day, my allegiance better not be to Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Obama or Reagan or whoever is your favorite president. At the end of the day, that person will wither up and die in a grave. My hope is in one who walked out of the grave. And that's real churchy and that's real preachy, but that's real good and it's real true. And it's a reminder that we need that the faults, see, humans are humans. Their faults will come out. But Jesus is not a man, oh my goodness, that he cannot and will not lie. And his word is true. And if, and if anything that this, this change that's coming this week should do, it should drive the church back to our knees and get our attention off of any inkling that we thought our hope was in Washington. Our hope has been and always will be only in the Word of God. And I believe that's what Jesus was saying right here. It is not for you to know the dates or the times the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And watch what he says. Y'all, this is so good. Don't miss it. 
You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this whole point that I'm harping on right now is the point the disciples were obedient. So, did the disciples get their eyes off the government and get their eyes on the mission? Well, have you been reading the book of Acts? I, I'm, I'm a, unfortunately, I had never seen it quite like this before. I've read through Acts. But I was studying this week, and I was studying behind somebody who showed it like this. And they showed that the entire book of Acts is the sequence of the disciples living out that verse. See, chapters 1 through 7 take place in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the church is born. In chapters 8 through 12, at the end of chapter 7, you remember reading where Stephen got stoned? Well, then the church was scattered into where? Judea and Samaria. Okay, is that map in there? Okay, watch this, okay? Now, I want you to see this. Because this is what happens. In the middle of that, toward the south end of that map, you see Jerusalem. Everybody see that? Okay. Then after Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7, chapters 8 through 8 through 12, Stephen is stoned. The church is scattered into Judea and Samaria. The church goes on the run. Some, some people stay in Jerusalem, but the church goes on the run. And as they go on the run, when you read chapters 8 through 12, you see the gospel spreading into Judea and Samaria. And then when you get to chapters 13 through 20, guess what happens? To the ends of the earth. So we go, the church is born, the church is scattered, and then the church expands as Paul takes his three missionary journeys. Are the disciples being obedient to the words of Jesus? Hey, it's right there under your nose, and you didn't even see it. I, I didn't even see it like that before. And then, chapters 21 through 28, it kind of bounces back. We see Paul, he's in Jerusalem. He goes back home to Jerusalem. And then he winds up all the way in Rome. And the book ends with Paul sitting in Rome, in Rome under house arrest, preaching Jesus wide open. Somebody, come on. Did the disciples not do it or what? They did exactly what Jesus said that they would do. So Jesus trusted the disciples. The disciples were be obedient. And here's the last thing I want you to see. The church was born. As a result of Jesus' trust of the disciples, as a result of their obedience, the church was born. Watch again this, this definition that we've been leaning in on this morning. To entrust, to delegate is to entrust to another or to appoint as one's representatives all of these uh, apostles. And next week we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and unpack how it, how it fleshed out on the day of Pentecost. But all of a sudden, here we go, all these churches and these house churches and things are just spreading. And the church begins to be born. And what do we find the church focused on? At its core, the church is focused on people. My former boss, Pastor Merritt, used to say here, uh, and he'd say it kind of jokingly, but we knew it was true, but it was jokingly, we're in the people business. And, uh, and as pastors and, and leaders, we're in the people business. As, as people who are not pastors and you've got uh, regular secular jobs, guess what your job is? You're in the people business. 
You know, there's not a job that anybody has that's not in the people business. But I'm not talking about your occupation. I'm talking about what God's called you to do. And now I'm getting ahead of myself on my application. But God's called all of us, amen, to be in the people business. It's always been about people. Somebody say people. Look at Matthew 22. Jesus says when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Look at the answer Enter the, through the lens of people. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And he says, it's not just about God. This is your first and greatest commandment. Because they were saying they loved God but treated their neighbors like garbage. And he says, the second is this. Love your neighbors as yourself. The whole law and commandments hang on these two. Just as important, we are in the people business. That's called the great commandment. Then in Matthew 28 comes along the great commission. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We read this a moment ago. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Who am I making disciples, baptizing, and teaching? People. Okay, it's not a hard answer. It's people. It's all about people. So you got the great commandment. In Matthew 22, you've got the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And then I've, I've tagged this, Acts 1-8, the Great Prediction. The Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and the Great Prediction. And the Great Prediction is what we're unpacking just a moment ago. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Was all about what? People. Who is in Jerusalem? People. The more I expand, Jesus says, there's more people in Judea. There's more people in Samaria. There's more people to the ends of the earth. It's all about people. God's ultimate prize is people. When Jesus emptied himself of his glory and the word became flesh, he spent his days with people. Jesus, he got alone to be with the Father. Jesus would spend time in the temple as a young man. But his whole ministry, he was constantly among people, and he met people where they are. It's what we sang 30 minutes ago, covered. That he covers us by his grace. So in Matthew 22, in the great commandment, he tells us to love God and love people. In Matthew 28, the great commission, he says to make disciples baptize disciples, and teach disciples. In Acts 1, the great prediction, he says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And let me sum it up like this. Wherever there are people, he says, love them. Wherever there are people, teach them. And wherever there are people, witness to them. And this is why we must get our eyes off the news because we'll be so screwed up and messed up focusing on so many other things that our belly and our mind and our emotions will be so frustrated that we miss people. And the very people who are so unlike us and we, we want to hate them and they frustrate us are the very people who need this the most. Let's not miss people, people. So Jesus trusted the disciples. The disciples were obedient. And the church was born. Renee, if you'll come and begin to play. Now, here's the application. And you already know where I'm going. What's true for them is true for us. Boy, I hope you take this away today and it brings encouragement to you. If Jesus trusted the disciples, Jesus trusts us. Jesus trusts you with the mission. Jesus trusts you 
with what he's placed in you. He trusts you with your kids. He trusts you with with your grandkids. He trusts you with the people that are around you on your job. He trusts you with your family members. Jesus trusted the disciples and Jesus trusts us. Secondly, the disciples were obedient and we must be obedient too. It's not enough to believe. The scripture says that Even the demons believe and tremble at the name of Jesus. It's not enough to believe we must obey. And I would challenge you today to ask that question. Are you you walking in obedience? The disciples were obedient to what God called them to do. And we must be obedient as well. The great commandment, the great commission... The great prediction was not just for them, it's for us. It wasn't just for 120 in the upper room. It's for every one of us to live out. And finally, the church was born. But I'll tell you what, the church will continue. Hear me, Rinkin Church of God. You read this book cover to cover. You get out the history books after it. Leaders rise and leaders fall. But the church of Jesus Christ will last forever. There may be more opposition from one government than the next. But make no mistake. Nothing changes in what God's plan, purpose, and will is for the church. When one person moves out of one office and moves into another one on Wednesday. The church's plan is still there. And my goodness, the church needs to remember today that the church is going to continue. How do you know that, Pastor? I mean, it, it kind of looks like that this new administration, man, they could shut us down and they could do this and they could do that. And can I remind you what Jesus looked eyeball into eyeball in a, a rough, rugged, old, stinking fisherman who couldn't do anything right? And he said, I'll tell you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Nothing's going to overcome the mission of the church. John, Jesus' other best friend beside Peter, said this, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a verse that we quoted but. You know, we might forget that one sometimes. And that's one we need to put back in our vernacular because we need it. Can I remind you too what Paul said in Ephesians? He said, he is coming for a church to present her to himself as a radiant church. See, this whole thing ends with Jesus being reunited with his bride, the church. So the church ain't going nowhere, y'all. Because a man's going to take care of his bride. Oh my goodness. The last two weeks, I told you a while ago, I've seen my bride, the sickest I've ever seen her in almost 25 years of marriage and 28 years of being together. And you better believe, hey, whatever you want to say, I I didn't follow the rules I didn't go get in a corner somewhere. I didn't go tell her to get in the corner for a week. And I went in another room. I served her. Because she's my bride and she was sick. 
and she needed me. I did that because I love her. And I'm not saying that to brag on me, but I'm saying it for the application here. Sometimes a bride gets worn out. Bride gets sick. And the bride gets weary. But the husband will never leave that bride if he loves her. And that's how the Father is with us. Boy, the church is a little weary. A little worn out. But the Father will never leave us. As I was studying on Friday, I, I remembered the lyrics to a song that we're going to go in the Wayback Machine this morning. And y'all know I've, I've got a southern gospel bone in my body. I got a few that, that uh, I grew up on. I think the, the two greatest songwriters that God has blessed the church with in our generation is Bill and Gloria Gaither. And I'll fight you over that. There's no two better songwriters. They wrote a song in 1973. I read the lyrics this week and I thought, man, it's like they wrote this today. And in this song, these are the lyrics. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. For we've settled our question We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out, songs of victory swell. For the church triumphant is alive and well. The first verse says this. You know, this ship's been through battles before. The storms and the tempest and all the rocks on the shore. Though the hull may be battered, Inside, it's safe and dry, and it's going to carry its cargo to the port in the sky. Let's go ahead and listen to that. Instead of me reading lyrics, come on. I just want you to hear this this morning.
Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. No, the purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has forced its way through solid rock. There have been charlatans who, like Simon the Magician, sought to barter on the open market the power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people, men who were beyond purchase and women who could not be bought. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. It has been gold-plated and encrusted with jewels. Draped in purple, it has been misrepresented, ridiculed, lauded, scorned. These followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of the times, elevated as sacred leaders and martyred as heretics. Yet through it all, there marches on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people who cannot be bought, flattered, murdered, or stilled. today we hear your word God first of all we're overwhelmed I am overwhelmed to be reminded that you 
still trust us with the mission. God, we ask you to empower us as you did your disciples to be obedient to the call. And God, help us not to forget that the church will continue. That God, you will promise Jesus never to leave us or forsake us. And we praise you and we give you glory and thanks for that today. I want us to pray together today as the church, for the church, that we would be the church. If you're by yourself in Walmart, you're the church. When you're walking around your college campus, you are the church. When you're home with your family, you are the church. When you're by yourself on your knees praying, you are the church. When you're seeing somebody in need and you go out of your way to help somebody else, you are the church. We are the church and we're not going anywhere. Because we know who's in charge. May we be up to the task. And may we be solely focused on the mission that God has for us today. I want to lead you today through prayer. And we're going to pray through these points that I've shared with you today. And as we pray, I want you to pray this over your life as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you that you trusted those men and women in that upper room to carry the message and that they did their part. Now it's our turn. God, I sense so strongly you reminding us today that you trust us as well. And so if there's anybody in this room today who feels like they're not enough and they can't do it, would you remind them today that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have called them as well and you trust them with the mission. God, I pray today, God, that you would find us to be faithful and to be obedient as those disciples were. Lord, when our eyes and our attention get on things that are temporary, may you remind us of what will be the only thing that stands. Remind us, Jesus, that your word says heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. And God, I pray that you would help us, God, to be obedient to what you've called us to be. And God, help us to realize that you've called us to be the church in the marketplace on our jobs in our schools in our homes that God we are the church we are empowered we are anointed we are filled we are called we are healed we are whole we are yours and we are on a mission and father may we leave here today reminded of that today may we leave reminded today that our community that our job place, that our schools, 
that Kroger and Walmart and the gas station need us right now to be salt and light more than they've ever needed us before. And Father, fill us with your Spirit. May we not recall. May we not back down. May we not get so focused on ourselves and our situations that we fail to see what we've been called for and what we've been called to. Lord, we need you. And we pray today that you would fill us fresh as you did the early church. I pray over your people in this room today that as we continue these next seven days of fasting and prayer, that God, you would move in a powerful way over this next week. May our prayers be more anointed than they've been on the first 14 days. May we sense a closeness with you more than we have on the first 14 days. Lord, may we have a drive to persevere and pursue you and your word and what you're doing like never before. God, as we begin to open up First and Second Peter and, and James and First, Second, and Third John, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. May our ears and our spirits hear what it is that the, the Spirit says to us. And we thank you for it and we praise you for it today. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Will you lift your hands with me right now and give him praise right now that we are the church, that we are his people, that we are called, that God is going to use you, that he's going to use me. Let's go there. We're going to. I, I'm, I'm throwing them a, a curve right here. And I want us to go back to what we sang when we finished today. And I want us to sing this today over our lives and over our situations today. And over as the church, we are called. Let's start right there on we're called, we're healed, we're whole. Let's start at that part there. I am blessed. Come on, lift your hands. Let's sing it. Sing it over your life today. Sing it over your situation. Lord, we sing this over our lives as the church today. This is who we are. Amen. Hallelujah. Say that again. For the glory of Jesus' name. I am blessed. I am called. I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. I am blessed, I am called, I am I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. God, you're so good. Say it. God, you're so God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
praise you today for your presence, your spirit, your anointing that's been in this place. Lord, as we've worshipped you, as we've heard your word, may we leave empowered, may we leave encouraged, may we leave transformed, and may we leave ready to follow you, to fulfill the call, to be obedient, and to be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in worship today. We look forward to seeing you back here Wednesday night at 7 for Family Ministries Night. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and step on out into the foyer so we can uh, spray the room and get ready for the next service. And uh, have a great afternoon. God bless you.